Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. that's so spoiled to the screen. Amen. Our, our media is down this evening, and so it's a good. It's always a good time to have your Bible with you. Yes. Amen. But uh, I'll just take advantage of this tonight and just mention the value of that. The book of James chapter 1 and verses 19 through 21. I want to talk about a subject this evening that I will admit from the very beginning that uh, I feel... This subject, like many others, are certainly larger than me. But I have asked the Lord sincerely, not just once or twice or three times, but I have asked the Lord repeatedly today to anoint my mind and my heart and my lips uh, that the Lord will help me to speak what's on my heart. And, um, you know, sometimes I am no different than you. Sometimes we have something in our mind or something in our heart, and when we say it, it doesn't quite come out like we wanted it to. And so very carefully today, I've asked the Lord to help me that I cannot just uh, speak, but I want to speak what I feel like that he's placed in my heart. And then for just a few brief seconds, he has to entrust that to that gap between my mind and my mouth. Amen. <laughs> and uh, so he has to depend on the frailty of mankind. And so I'm not asking you to remember the Lord in prayer tonight, but I do think we ought to pray for that gap between mind and mouth. Amen. That the Lord can just speak the heart, speak to our heart. Matthew 1 and 19, and I respect that you're standing tonight. Let's read. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, all of this is uh, worth considering and we will do that incrementally. But I, I just want to clue us all in on something. There are certain things, I think, in Scripture that ought to harness our attention and when we read a passage of scripture like the last few words of verse 21 that says, which is able to save your soul. If the Lord is fixing to talk about something that's able to save our soul, it's time to turn off everything. Amen. Amen. It, it's, it really, really is. It's time to hang up everything and just say, I need to hone in <coughs> on something that's powerful enough to save my soul. Amen. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for the privilege to one more time preach to what I think is one of the greatest congregations in the world. And I'm asking you tonight, Lord, to anoint my mind and my heart 
And help us, Lord, in our endeavor to grow, to become more like you. And I pray that your spirit and that your presence will touch us now. Touch us with clarity of mind and heart. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. The New King James Version of verse 21, I just want to read it only so that we can understand perhaps the wording of this. It says, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. The implanted word, the engrafted word, the imparted word. Paul said to the church in Romans 1 and 11, it's a passage that I refer to a whole lot because I have been arrested for many, many, probably decades now by the power of what Paul was trying to convey to the church in Rome. He said, I long to see you, Romans 1 and 11, I long to see you that I might impart Amen, that I might impart unto you. He said, I don't want to just talk at you. I don't want to speak over your heads. I don't want to just splatter you with words. But I want to impart something. I want to press something into your spirit. And so as I said when we began this study on the book of James, that the book of James is somewhat, in many respects, kind of like the book of Proverbs in that the book of Proverbs are a culmination of Proverbs, obviously, but many of them are just kind of standalone points, perhaps one verse or one verse may hold two or three points or a few verses collectively may hold some points. And that seems to be the overtone of James and his writing. And so uh, I believe the book of James is a book that you can approach little by little and receive so much from every little word. And I'm not trying to exhaust us uh, with this study, but I've just always enjoyed reading the book of James and studying the book of James. The description of the word of God here in the writing of James is perhaps at least the overall look of this particular passage is probably uh, taken a little bit from the parable of the sower, when Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 13. Jesus compared the word of God to seed and then he compared the human heart to the soil and not running the risk of insulting anybody's intelligence but just kind of putting it down on a level where everyone can, uh, can really understand it. I always appreciate when people do that for me. The other day I was in a place of business and I needed to purchase a piece of equipment for our home and uh, I was in uncharted waters to say the least and so I was standing there and the lady was very very kind who was helping me and she showed me one little um, one little thing I'm not sure how to describe it but it was very small and it just seemed um, very very inanimate and uh she said, you, you, you can do this but you got to be careful and you got to be watching out and you got to be careful this that and the other and and so she marched me over and was showing me different ones, not in a way of salesmanship by any stretch of the imagination, but just informatively. 
And then she took me all the way over to this kind of a monstrosity of a piece of equipment. And, and so she started telling me all about this. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, reveal my ignorance here. I said, but can you kind of just in layman's terms, can you describe to me the difference between this little simple thing here and this rather complex thing over here? She said, well, let me just put it this way. She put her hand over on the little small objects and she said, this is an aspirin for your toothache. And then she walks over here and she put the other hand on this and she said, and this is the dentist. I said, I'll take the dentist. Amen. If we're going to take the aspirins, we're going to have to keep taking aspirins if I understand anything about that. So talk to me a little bit more about this dentist. And so the Lord in parables wasn't trying to insult anybody. She wasn't trying to insult me. And I, I want to tell you, I thanked her for it. She kind of got on a level where I could understand it. And I'm not proud of that, but it nevertheless happened. And uh, Matthew, in, in the Lord rather, in Matthew's recordings, he spoke in parables. And it just kind of puts it right down where we all can live. Uh, almost a child can understand, or at least certainly a young person could understand a lot of the teaching of the Lord. And so in Matthew 13, Jesus compared the word to the, to the seed and the human heart to the soil. And he described in this parable four kinds of soils or four kinds of heart. He talked about the hard heart, which did not understand or receive the word. And the end result of that was that it bore no fruit. The second heart was a shallow heart, which was an emotional heart, but it had no depth. In the end... It also bore no fruit. The third heart was a crowded heart, a heart that lacked repentance, a heart that permitted sin to crowd out or the cares of the, the cares of this world. That's what the scripture says of the cares of life, to crowd out the word of God. Therefore, it bore no fruit. And then finally, the fourth heart, which received the word and allowed it to take root, and obviously it produced a harvest of fruit. So in the fruitful heart, was the only place that the word of God was successfully implanted. And so as a result, it, it achieves its purpose, and that purpose is to bear fruit in our lives. Amen. I, I think about the gifts of the Spirit, and sometimes a lot of emphasis is put on the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and I think that they very much should operate in the church today. But I'll tell you what really ought to be in operation in our lives is the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. The fruit of the spirit where the seed of God's word has been planted as an end result of that, something significant has happened in our life. Amen. The final test of salvation is fruit. That's the final test. I was reading this morning in the book of Acts again where uh, there was kind of a little upset and, and it was Gamaliel that said, well, you know, uh, he just kind of calmed the hearts of everyone and he said, let's just put it this way. And he began to name others that had come along before with a little sermon or philosophy or an idea or a doctrine. And he said, you know, let's remember what happened to them. And I'm just putting this in our language and paraphrasing it tonight. And he was talking about this, this new way, this gospel way that had come upon the earth at that time. And he said, if there is anything to it, I mean, if God is in it, it'll prosper. And if God is not in it, it'll come to naught. And so can I tell you that the test of salvation is not how high somebody's jumping or none of those things, and I'm not minimizing our demonstrative worship, 
But uh, what really is a significant moment in the life of a person is when we begin to bear fruit of the Spirit of God. I'm just going to tell you there's some ways that the Holy Ghost won't talk. And there's some ways that the Holy Ghost won't act. And there's just some things that the Holy Ghost won't do. Amen. And so we need that fruit in our lives. The Word of God, when, <coughs> when we allow it to work, will always bring about change because the word of God draws us nearer to the Lord. However, to turn toward God, then that means I've got to turn away from certain works of the flesh. If I'm going to turn toward him, then I'm obviously I'm having to turn away from some other thing. And that the, the turning away is the fruit that is produced by the word of God in our lives. When John the Baptist came out of the wilderness of Judea, when the 400 years of silence and the dark ages were broken, he began to, rep- to preach repentance and baptism. Now, John the Baptist, as many of you know, uh, John the Baptist was not a Dale Carnegie. Uh, he was not a Dale Carnegie graduate. John the Baptist came out of the wilderness like a wild man. He had a very strange attire. He had a pretty strange, not for that day, but for us today, he had a pretty strange diet. And John the Baptist was a man on a mission. He had one message, and that message was repent. He had one job, and that job was successfully done. And that was to arrest the sleeping hearts and the dull minds of mankind. And he began to preach repentance and baptism. And as John the Baptist began to preach I think some, it would be easy, I don't want to read too much in the scripture, but I think it would be safe in, in, in saying tonight that from what we gather and what we can, the, what picture, at least word pictures that the scripture uh, portrays for us of John the Baptist, I think that John the Baptist would be a man hard to ignore. I think his message would be a message hard to ignore. And so because he was demonstrative in his approach and because he was so forward in his message, as he began to preach, many people, many people were drawn to his preaching. Amen. If I could just kind of, kind of roll our uh, history back a little bit, but roll significantly forward from John the Baptist day, it would be as though uh, years ago you'd see a lot more tent meetings than you would see today. And it was as though a tent meeting were going on and the flaps of the old tent sides were up and they were just preaching and having church and just letting it all hang out, so to speak. And in that atmosphere, uh, they, they left those tent flaps up on purpose. It was to get people's attention. And, and uh, I remember, uh, I remember years ago, I've shared this before. Maybe you've heard it, but I, this truly happened. My cousin and I were riding down the road, uh, many, many years ago now. And, and, uh, we were riding down the road. We came past one of these tent meetings. And so we were both in the church and, and had been living for the Lord, but it got our attention. So we just kind of pulled up to the tent to kind of see what was going on. We didn't, we didn't turn our head lights on or anything like that and turn the vehicle off. We were just trying to watch and listen from the vehicle. And as I I stand before you tonight, this is the gospel truth. While we were standing there, everybody, several people kept looking over their shoulder. They were obvious and they were aware we were there. And finally, after a while, some man got up and he went and just pulled one rope. And when he pulled one, that one rope, that whole tent flap went down. We just kind of sheepishly started up the vehicle and backed out. 
And we just assumed by that way we were not welcome to walk in, I suppose. I don't know. But I just think that had nothing to do with tonight. But anyway, you get, you get the point. He's, he began to preach. It began to draw a crowd. And John preached repentance. And he preached that it was more than just a mere confession of the heart. But he preached that it was a change of the heart. I think it was the, his passionate plea that brought people out of the woodwork. They were hearing a message of water baptism and he was preaching things like we read this in scripture that there is one, I can only baptize you unto repentance but there's one coming after me. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so John was what we refer to as the forerunner of Christ. He was coming out first. He was gathering everybody's attention and so with fervor, And with passion, John's ministry began to be very popular. So popular that many, many people were baptized. And this excitement, but in the process of this excitement in that day, much like it is today, it also drew some there that were just kind of there for the song and dance, so to speak. They were just there for the party. It drew the unrepentant religious establishment of that day. Amen. And and they showed up and they wanted to be baptized. And you can read this tonight in Matthew seven or Matthew three verses seven and eight. John he just called them out on it. And he called them a generation of vipers. That's what he called them. Amen. He said it was, it was this fruit of repentance that prepared the heart of John's followers to hear and receive the word of the Lord. He challenged them. He said, I want to, I want to, I want you to demonstrate fruit that is meat for repentance. Amen. And this is, this is too serious for us to just be going through the motions here. He said, there needs to be some fruit before we even get to this part. And how many understand that? Amen. There's something in our heart. John was saying, there needs to be something in your heart that's bearing fruit that's meat for repentance. Amen. Not just caught up in a moment or caught up in an emotional thing and, And uh, that may sound a little bit acidic to you tonight, but he did call them a generation of vipers and he challenged them because it was the fruit of repentance, the fruit of repentance that prepared the heart of the followers of John the Baptist to receive the word of Jesus Christ. Amen, it's an important thing. Uh, If all you do is hear the word of God, but it never bears fruit in your life, then there's something grossly wrong. Amen, grossly wrong. There's a lot of people that's heard a lot of preaching. And it should bring about something called change in our heart. God's word always changes us. Yes, it does. It will always call us from where we are to where he has called us to be or where he is beckoning beckoning us to come. The word of God tonight, do you know what's going on? The word of God is calling us to be closer. It's drawing us closer to him. It's not enough to just come to church, not enough just to hear the word of God. We've got to let the word of God, the word work in our lives. Amen. We got to let it work in our lives. And I pray that the Lord would help me to convey this tonight. You know, there's some things depending on what kind of stain it may be or depending on what you're trying to remove. Uh, If it's something light, you can probably just spray a little Windex on it and wipe it off. But I was trying to clean something around the church today and I found out that it was going to take more than just a squirt and more than just a napkin to wipe it off. I mean, I had to spray it. I had to let it soak. I wound up going to find a brush. 
and I had to scrub it and I had to wet it and I had to scrub it again. And so the word of the Lord is just like that. We can't think that with a glancing blow, whoo, what a great message or whoo, what a great song or what a powerful service we have. There are times the word of God and it needs to hit us and it needs to hit us again and it needs to hit us again and it needs to hit us again. I think we've all been, I think we've all had the experience where you perhaps have bought a CD of a service or a DVD of a service and, and you listen to it again and you listen to it another time, you hear something you didn't even hear. The word of the Lord just works deeper and deeper and deeper into our heart. Amen. The implanted word, the engrafted word in verse 21, that is the word that has the power to save us and it does so because that word produces fruit in our life. Amen. That's the purpose of the word. However, the sad truth is this, that even in the parable of the sower, now these are alarming statistics if you ask me, and I've had a long time today to think about this, not just today, but of course in preparing for tonight, uh, Monday afternoon, and then again today preparing for tonight. Amen. I, I begin to think about this, and it, it is an alarming statistic that when the parable of the sower, and I just share this with you for, as food for thought, but in the parable of the sower, only one-fourth of the people that heard the word received the word. Amen. That's kind of alarming. And the, the difference between the one that had fruit as an end result of that and the other three was how they received the word. That's, that's exactly it. It was stony ground, it was a hard ground, or it was shallow ground, or it was crowded ground. And so I, it's all in how the seed is received. I pray that when I come to the house of God, and that when you come to the house of God, that we have such a hunger and a thirst that I say, Lord, let my heart be prepared. I don't want to get ahead of myself tonight, but I do want to go ahead and interject this, that I think we need to be praying about church before we get to church, preparing our heart before we get to the house of the Lord. And, and I know sometimes that can be a challenge all of its very own. But I tell you, I don't want the word to have a, an opportunity to just get to a shallow place or get to a crowded place or get to a hard place. I want to make sure that my life is right and that my heart is right. Jesus, the word can't work in our lives unless we receive it the right way. That's just it. Jesus said that we should take heed not only how we hear or what we hear in Mark 24, but in Luke 18, he said that we need to take heed how we hear, not just what you hear, but how you hear it. Amen. We need to hear the word of God. We need to hear it with a ready heart, a receptive heart. Too many people are in a tragic condition that's described in Matthew 13 and 13 when the scripture says, hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. They're, they're, they're here, but they're not getting it. They're here, but it's not soaking into their lives. You can attend Sunday school. We can attend church services. We can attend all manner of services and never seem to grow. While other people sit in the same building, same pew perhaps, same atmosphere and the word of the Lord touch, touches them and that impacts their life and ultimately their life is changed by the word of the Lord. The difference is how we receive that word. And so with that in mind, James gives us in this particular passage 
some instructions as to how we should react to the word of God. These three verses are all about receiving the word of God and allowing it to work in our lives. The three admonitions that he gives us in one of these verses is, as I said a moment ago, much like Proverbs. They're short, succinct, they're right to the point. It doesn't really require uh, much commentary. Amen. They're applicable across the board in every spectrum, spectrum of life. James 1 and 19, he said, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Amen. A lot of instruction, a lot of instruction that is bound up in these three phases. However, in keeping with the point that James is making, I just want to briefly discuss them as they relate to the word of God in our lives. He said we ought to be swift to hear. Amen, swift to hear. Matthew 13 and 9, he that hath an ear, let him hear. We find that again and again and again in scripture. Who hath ears, let him hear. Paul said in Romans 10 and 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen, if the word is to be implanted in our lives, and if the word is to produce fruit in our lives, then I first must hear it. I've got to hear it, not just outside, but I've got to hear it. Amen. I think about often a mother's ears and how attuned they are to the cry of their baby. That's the way James is saying we should be toward the word of God. In a world that is filled with all kinds of cries going forth, let me be attuned to the voice of God. I want to be quick to hear what the, what the spirit has to say in my life. There's a beautiful illustration, um, of this truth. I think that we can find in the, in the life of King David. In 2 Samuel 23, it's an interesting passage of scripture, or at least it is to me. David was hiding from the Philistines who were in possession of Bethlehem. And, and if you could read this passage of scripture up to this moment, I'll not belabor the issue, but David was on the run. He had been in battle. David was weary. He was weary physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, David was just kind of tapped out at the very bottom. And he, he just desired in his heart, he desired a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. Now this was somewhat nostalgic. Uh, it was somewhat sentimental, I suppose. But as a young boy in his youth, David had visited this well in Bethlehem. And David, who is a king, and who is a leader of many men, and David who could have commanded anyone at any time to do anything. Are you with me now? David just sort of, if I could just convey it this way, at least that's how I read it in scripture. I think David just sort of, sort of sighed this under his breath. It was just kind of a thought, as many of us have. Amen. He said, oh that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Now, this was not a commandment. I think it's imperative to understand that. David was not snapping his fingers. David was not clinging any sores together. But there in this moment of, of thirstiness and in this moment of weariness in his soul and body, he just said, oh, that somehow... I had a drink of that cool water from the well in Bethlehem. Amen. There were three men in this company. Follow me now. 
amen, who heard the king when he whispered that. Amen. And when they heard that, they risked their lives to get him that water. Now, you may think that this is a very strange illustration trying to link this back to James, but I'm going to tell you, I believe these men were swift to hear. They were so tuned in to the needs uh, of David. I'm not talking about man worship or none of the above. If you know me, you know better than that. Amen. I'm not talking about that, but David just said, oh, that I had a cool drink of water from Bethlehem's well, three of these men risk life and limb, amen, to just jump up and go and, and go to meet the need of, of this man, David. Amen, they responded. Amen, you know, here's the truth. Here's a real simple truth, that if these men had stopped to think this out, they may have talked themselves out of it. If they had thought, you know, let's just meet about this on Friday night at seven. Let's just get our heads together and see what you think. And by the time they got through talking this out, hammering this out, there would have been nothing happened at the end of the day. They may have considered it too great a risk for just a simple drink of water. And you know what? If we're not careful in light fashion today, we can hear the preaching. And I'm not talking about the dumbing down of anything, but we can hear the preaching. And instead of responding to that word of God, amen, we can say, you know what? I'm just going to make me a note. I'm going to take this home and see what I think about this. And I'm going to consider this. And before we're, we know it, we are not swift to hear the word of the Lord and we will talk ourselves out of or let the enemy talk us out of moving on what God wants to move on. Sometimes we hear the word of God. Let me just speak to everybody here tonight. We hear the word of God and we feel a tug of conviction of God just speaking to us and we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Lord while he may be speaking to others is certainly talking to me and if we're not careful instead of responding we'll reason our way out. Well, I don't need to go down front. I don't want to draw any undue attention to myself. I'm blah, 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 blah. Amen. I don't think I'm alone in this house whenever at the end of the service, you know, I've I prayed over this years ago, but it used to bother me at the end of the service. You know, if I'm the first one to respond, somebody's going to think I got sin in my life. You know, you don't want to rush down there too quick. One thing I've noticed about people heading to an emergency room, they've lost all inhibitions. <laughs> if you're bleeding bad enough, it doesn't matter how many neighbors are there or who sees you go wheeling in there. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you're losing blood by the pint and so you just need to move out of the way. And so I just got over that several years ago and people are going to have to think whatever they think if they're even thinking such a thing. That might just been the devil talking. Amen. But I want to hear the word of the Lord and I want to respond before the Lord or before the enemy of my soul talks me out of doing that. James admonishes us to be swift to hear the word of God when he speaks it. Amen. Let that word be swift, not linger in the valley of decision. I want to react when God tugs at my heart. I want to do that before doubt and indecision has a chance to steal the seed from the soil of my heart. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm not proud of what I'm about to say, and so if you want to record this, well, don't please don't record this. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, if there's anybody in this room that can overthink anything, you are looking at him. 
the absolute king of overthinking. I can overthink. You, you just give me enough time, I can complicate anything. I challenge you to throw it out there tonight. I'll, give me enough time. And I get so frustrated with myself about those things. Amen? <laughs> with bated breath, you're waiting for the next deal. So I have to be very careful when it comes to spiritual matters that I don't let me get in the way of what God is wanting to do. Amen. I got to do it before doubt and indecision has a chance to steal that seed out of my heart. That's why not this is not random. It's not just something to say. That's why we close so many services around here by saying, Lord, seal this word in our heart, lest that seed has just fallen on a stony heart. Amen. Seal this word till I can let that deal in my heart, take root in my heart. Amen. We gotta be very, very careful. I, I need to hurry. Amen. We need to be slow to speak, swift to hear. And he said, slow to speak. How many times have you heard the phrase, we, the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth? Might've been a method to the madness there. Amen. And so we need to be slow to raise an objection to what we feel like the Lord is asking us to do. We find an example of that in Luke 10. Amen. The Bible says in Luke 10, I'll just read a little bit of this storyline here. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, talking about the Lord, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You don't really want to pick a fight with Jesus. Amen. You don't want to, that's a war of words. You're not going to win. Amen. This man stated, he professed that I want to know. I want to know how to be saved. And, and Jesus said, well, what does the word say? How do you read what the word says? He said, that's right. How, how, do, how readest thou? How readest thou? In verse 27, he answering and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said, thou hast answered right, this do, and you shall live. He said, you've answered right, now go home and do that. Amen. I, think, I don't think Jesus was trying to be curt and unkind and rude. I think he was just trying to nip in the bud the spirit of this. Amen. <laughs> Can you bear one more story? Amen. I'll just do them one more at a time, just one more at a time. I was about 12 years old or so. Um, back, then, I, back then, they called them muscle shirts. They were kind of popular, and I wanted to, ask, I wanted to know if I could wear a muscle shirt. And Mom said, she said, well, just ask Papa. Papa Tumman was a pastor. So we just asked Papa, and in a moment, in a moment of insanity, <laughs> in a moan of total insanity. My, my grandfather was working in the garden. I could almost take you and put an X on the ground, I think very close to where there's probably his little blood still there. <laughs> and I, I said, of course, you got to realize I'm probably about, you know, 80 pounds built like a broom handle, of a, you know, And uh, I said, uh, Pop, you think it'd be all right if I wear a muscle shirt? He never even looked up. He said, you got to wear something. 
You see, I couldn't say it like he said it because if I could say it like he said it, you'd be bleeding too because I just knew I went home and put my muscle shirt. I don't wear muscle shirts to this day. Amen. I need to get off the subject. I'm... Amen. He, he nipped that spirit so deep in the, in the ground. <laughs> Moving right along. Verse 29, the Bible says, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Too often that's where we find ourselves trying to justify ourselves. Well, I gotta do something. I gotta have this, I gotta have that. And we justify ourselves right out of the will of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. Everybody all right? Can I get you back on board? (laughs) No more personal stories tonight, I don't think. I think I've tapped out on that. James cautions us to be slow to speak, slow to snuff out the word of God. God's trying to plant something in our lives. Don't reach out there and pull that out just because you don't understand it. Then he says slow to wrath. Finally, James warns us not to get angry at God or his word God's word has a unique ability to cut through all the facades and that's exactly what the Lord was doing right here. Just cutting right down to the root of the matter. Amen, all the facades, all the excuses and to reveal our real need to change. And so conviction comes to us as a result of the word of God. And when we listen to it and don't argue with it, it reveals areas in our lives that need to change. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? The word of the Lord comes along and it, and it just shows us. It just says, you know, I'm, I just got to tighten this up. I've got to fix this. Instead of allowing the word of God to produce righteous fruit in our heart if we're not careful. Amen. When the Lord comes along and starts revealing those things, amen, we, we don't like what we see when the Lord of God really, when the word of God really starts revealing what we are. That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing. And uh, uh, my pastor years ago gave me some advice and really required it of me as a young minister in the church. And I required of myself from time to time. And I'm going to tell you, it's a very brutal process. And any of you men who speak, anybody who speaks, I would admonish you. You've heard me say this before that we need to buy a CD of ourselves or we need to get online and download or listen to ourselves and listen to yourself. And I can hardly bear to listen to myself. Just like you. You don't even like hearing your voice on your own answering machine, right? It's like, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, it takes you 30 minutes to record a 10 second a little thing there, you just can't hardly bear that. We look at our pictures and we think, oh no, oh no, I don't want to see that. Surely that's not me. We see ourselves on a video and think, who in the world is that? Right? Amen. It's kind of like the man that I don't want to look in the mirror because I don't like the man that's staring back at me. And so sometimes the word of God is that mirror and he just holds it down and we don't, when we don't like the man staring back at us, that's God saying, you need to change. We need to change our life. We need to change our spirit and our mind. People rebel against the word of God because the word of God is truth, is the absolute truth. Amen. That, and it reveals their sinfulness. Years ago, we've repented over it many, many times, so I don't mind going here, but years ago, my wife and I, really, she did. I just helped her. She hung a lot of wallpaper. And we repented about that. And we promised the Lord that we wouldn't do that again. 
But here's what we found out in hanging wallpaper is that wallpaper is exact. And a wall can look right and a door jam can look straight and a window seal can look straight. But when you start putting exactness up against anything, it reveals every little flaw. And so part of being someone that's, she was a very good wallpaper hanger. And so part of being somebody that could hang wallpaper well was not just your ability to splatter a little glue on the back and then slap it on the wall, but somebody needs to know how to hide these imperfections and how to hide those things and work around where that's not the very first thing that you see. And so the word of God is that exactness. And when we put exactness up against our lives, it reveals things that are wrong. It just shows us. And we think, well, you know, we can work around that we can figure out no the word of God says you've got to take this home you've got to deal with this amen the, the Bible says in verse 20 of our text for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God James is saying that our anger amen does not produce the righteousness of the Lord rather it's, it is the submission of our heart that produces righteousness and so when a prepared heart receives the word becomes repentant instead of angry the word of God brings forth fruit Verse 21 talks about a prepared heart. James saw the human heart as a garden. Left to itself, the soil produces only weeds. Amen. But he urges to pull out the weeds. That's what the scripture means when he says, lay aside all filthiness and all this wickedness. Pull that out. Take that out. And so when we approach God in that manner, we are preparing the soil for the implanted word of God. The unique phrase that I mentioned a moment ago, the superfluity of naughtiness, gives the picture of a garden overgrown with weeds, not just a few here or there, but out of control. And so it's foolish to try to plant some seed in a garden that is not just a few weeds, but overgrown, overladen with weeds. Amen. That's what this whole passage is about. It's preparing our heart to receive the word of God. And we're fooling ourselves if we think that just because somebody's preaching and we hear somebody talking or we see somebody's lips moving, amen, that that makes everything okay in our life. You can hear a lot of things that we don't hear. Amen. I need to get it in my heart and prepare the soil of my heart. I got to receive it in my life and let it bear fruit and make a change in my life. The phrase lay aside or lay apart, amen, verse 21 talks about the removal of something, the taking off, the unveiling of something. The idea is conveyed that we're to remove ourselves from everything that is morally filthy, amen, those things that'll be subject to temptation, things that we will struggle with in our flesh and we are admonished to put off the temptations of flesh. That is a vital part of preparing our heart. Amen. A vital part of getting our heart ready to receive the word of God and allowing it to bring forth fruit in our lives. We got to break up the fallow ground. That's kind of a uh, biblical and church terminology there, but we got to break up our heart. Amen. That's why, that's why it's so important. Our worship portion of our service is so important. Amen. It really is because we're trying to enter into the presence of the Lord presence of the Lord. A few days ago, I was called upon to talk to a friend of mine. Thankfully, we were kind of taking up from a conversation that we had had several months ago, a very in-depth conversation and uh, several hours that we talked discussing something. 
A few weeks ago, I, I, I saw him again, and I felt like that the Lord had given me something to tell him. And, and so I, I told him, this was kind of how I prefaced our conversation. I said, you know, I said, there are some things when we talk about, we really need about two hours of a conversation to get where I really need to be. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes we kind of talk and talk and that conversation kind of prepares us and we get a little bit deeper and a little bit more in sync. And I said, you know, today I don't have that two hours and you don't want me to take those two hours, but I just want to build on what we left, where we left off talking and, and I want to say something to you. And so tonight I would say that, that it's a shame. It's a shame sometimes that we don't have all the time necessary to just come in and have prayer first. Amen. I'm not suggesting we don't have time for prayer, but you know what I'm saying. Amen. What if we started our service on Wednesday night at 6 with prayer and we turned it over to the preacher at 9? The end result would be different. I understand where I am tonight. But we need something to break up that fallow ground, something that can tenderize the soil where God can speak with that engrafted word. And so the question then as our musicians come is how do we grow in the Lord? How do we grow in the Lord? And how do we receive the engrafted word? Well, Jesus likened so many things to a farmer or at least in the line of agriculture till I feel safe in staying within the confines of his teaching. No more would a, a farmer just go out here in this field across from the church where there's just growing grass and weeds and things of that nature, he wouldn't just go plant something as expensive as real seed. He wouldn't just broadcast that across that field and then cross his fingers that everything's just going to work out all right. Being in close proximity to several farms and farmers around here, Watch them break the land, disc it, disc it. They'll plow a little while this way and a little while that way, a little while diagonally. They're not just out there trying to see how much fuel they can burn or how much time they can waste. But they know with the passing of, with each pass, I'm preparing something. I'm getting it ready, depending on what the crop is going to be. And so... How then can we, and I, I, I'm, I'm slowing down on purpose because I want you to truly hear me. How then can we expect to receive the engrafted word of God, the implanted word of God, if we do nothing to prepare ourselves before the preaching of the word of God? Now, I, I get that we have lives to live and, and that life all in its of its own just kind of has us by the nose pulling us around at will 
But I just have been so burdened and I do not use that term lightly at all or loosely. But I have been so burdened about this as of late to ask ourselves and start with me, but are we really for, ready for church at church time? I know we're dressed, but are we ready? Are we really ready to receive the word of God? Not just hear another sermon, not just go through the motions again, but are we really ready to receive? Chances are it goes unspoken, I understand, but but I would think that everybody that would call this their church home and that would refer to me as their pastor would sure assume that I didn't start preparing for this sermon tonight at 6.30. Amen. Amen. We assume, we sure hope, we pray that our Sunday school teachers didn't just set the clock an hour early on Sunday morning and jump up frantically out of the bed trying to figure out what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about. We really hope and pray and certainly have confidence that they have scarcely closed the book this Sunday before next Sunday's already turning in their mind, churning in their heart. A lot of times, I'm just saying this as a reference point, it's not meant to be taken any other way, but a lot of times, especially when I'm teaching on a series, my mind is more seasoned right now for where we're going next Wednesday night or the next Wednesday night. And many times on this Wednesday night, I go home and at least start putting together some of the framework of our next lesson. And I wonder tonight if that level of preparation is being met on the other side of this equation. You see, we can't, we can't, I I know where I'm standing and I know how potentially thin the ice is. But we can't just goof off till two o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning and jump up and come to the house of God and and think we're really going to take something home with us. Amen. We got to, man, please don't let me be the only one praying about Sunday morning. I, I don't think I am. I'm not suggesting that. But please don't let me be the only one praying about Wednesday night. But I mean, when, when we turn the lights out in this building, I believe as a church, we ought to be praying, God, whoever's going to be preaching Sunday, stir their heart now. Stir their heart now. God, move in their life. You know what we're doing? We're preparing our heart. We're preparing our heart. Am I making any sense at all? God, help us to not be so caught up in what's going on around us that 
that church is just kind of something else that we do in our schedule. Church needs to be the center of what we do. Amen. We cannot neglect this business of tending to spiritual matters. Amen. Because if we let heart matters slip, then it's going to be a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. I'm going to ask you to stand. I was reading an article. I didn't bring it tonight to the pulpit just on purpose for the sake of time. It was kind of a lengthy article. It was an article about seed. The author was writing just in general, not about, he never named any particular seed. But he made um, some reference to that the seed, when it is cast in the ground, we never know where that seed's going to wind up. We never know what will happen to that seed. He mentioned that sometimes certain seed can be, um, maybe if there's construction going on around it, kind of using this as an illustration to kind of burrow out someplace that the seed just got placed so deep within the soil that it would not bloom. It just kind of lay dormant. And no matter how long that seed had been dormant, if it got stirred up enough and got enough sunlight, edged back to the surface enough to get enough light and water that seed, the power of the seed was always still there it was not at one point it was too covered up with things and and too overcome with things but it wasn't the fault of the seed but if we let that seed get nudged back to the top to the soil that the power of the seed was still there And so tonight, I just ask us to take this service, this message serious, that we would think about the upcoming service. Think about, you know, in our calendar, our calendar coming up as our camp meeting next week. For weeks now, I don't think I'm alone in this, but for weeks now, I've been calling the names of our speakers in prayer. God, touch their heart. Give them a word for us. We don't need just another meeting to go to. But, oh, Lord, speak the word to our heart. Prepare our lives. Help us to think about it. Amen. I wonder if the Lord would just challenge our hearts where we are this evening. Amen. Can we let God's word touch us? Amen. Can we accept the challenge to say, Lord, touch my heart. Stir the soil of the soul today, God, and let your word Find a resting place. Let's magnify the Lord. Can we do that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.